As we begin a new program year, we'll also begin a new mini-series today on uh, three weeks that we'll spend through the month of September on vision, because it is vision that is so integral to the church, and having a clear and, un- and well-understood vision is what guides us as a church in how we use our building, how we program it, how we design our budget and what we give to. It is vision that pushes us forward, not with passivity, not with wandering, but it is vision that shows us the clear direction forward for us here at North Holland. So we'll spend three weeks on the vision of North Holland, and each text will come from the Gospel of Luke. I invite you this morning to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Three weeks in the Gospel of Luke, and each different week, we'll focus on one core aspect of North Holland's vision. And I think we can see this both historically, however long you've been here, or if you read some of our history, or if you simply start to get to know these people and this place. There are three things that I want us to focus on for these next three weeks in vision. Hospitality mission, and youth. Hospitality, mission, and youth are three sources of lifeblood for North Holland. It's where our passion is at. It's where our focus is. And it's the unique ways in which God has gifted this congregation to serve the world in this particular corner of the country in this particular time. So as we think about hospitality and mission and youth as it relates to North Holland... We also know that in that we find our calling as a church to be the best version of North Holland that we can possibly be to serve the world with the utmost faithfulness and discipline as Christ calls us. So I hope you'll join me for three weeks of vision as we focus on hospitality, mission, and youth. Before we come to God's Word and to Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, let's pray together. Lord, you have set the ultimate example of hospitality for us. For in your providence, you provide us with all of our needs. You send us on mission to reach the world that you so dearly love. And Lord, you send us not unequipped, but with the gift of your word and in the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we pray this morning as we come to your word that we may encounter your Holy Spirit illumining your word to us. Renew us by your presence, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that every generation may know that we are your beloved children. Amen. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, 
she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender, and one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, but you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I left this painting here without any explanation as a way to hopefully make you curious about what it was going to be about. This painting, for me, is a meaningful symbol of hospitality. Here's why. This particular painting used to belong to my grandpa and grandma DeVries. It's been in the family for a few generations. And this painting in particular was in the guest bedroom of their house. Not in the living room. There was other artwork and a few rock collections there. Not in the kitchen or the dining room or other places where people would be gathered. But this painting was in the guest bedroom of the house. I think it's a beautiful painting. It's a landscape that I would love to to go here. There's a gentle and calm stream running through a beautiful grassy plain into a great forest of trees with mountains and a great plateau behind it. When I was a child, I would play with the toys in the guest bedroom of Grandpa and Grandma's house. And sometimes I would just stare at this painting and wonder what it would be like to be here in this landscape. So when my grandma DeVries passed away, all of the children and grandchildren could write requests for things that were meaningful to us that we would like to have for our own as a keepsake of the family. 
And I was the only person, much to my delight, who had on their list this painting. My sister requested Grandma's plate that she always ate pizza off of. There are some other strange things. I have the Lord of the Rings set in my office. But I was the only person to request the painting. And my mom and dad told me that when they were going through the lists that all the children and grandchildren had, they said, well, and on Stephen's list it says, the guest bedroom painting. And everyone paused, like, what painting is he talking about? We know some of the other artwork. So they all stopped the meeting and went into the guest bedroom and were like, oh, yeah, that one, <laughs> that painting. Well, sure, no, it's not on anyone else's list. He can have it. Yes. So the guest bedroom painting was mine. Because of the meaning it holds for me, I cherish this painting. It's special to me. It belonged to my grandpa and grandma, both of whom have been called to heaven. And so when Caitlin and I made our great and wondrous move from the seminary red brick townhouses, which, by the way, we still hold the seminary record for quickest packed red brick, because you all showed up with a fleet of pickups and trailers, and we had the whole place empty in a half hour. Good job, North Holland. But when we moved to the parsonage, as large and almost cavernous as it seemed at first, we were looking for where to put up the decorations. And I really wanted the DeVries family painting to go somewhere you know, in the living room or in the kitchen, somewhere where it would be seen by many people. But most of all, selfishly, I wanted to be somewhere where I would see it and see it often. But I'm not so good at making rooms be feng shui, or feng shui, as I call it. And we couldn't find the right spot for this painting. And so, current location notwithstanding, this painting has found its home in the guest bedroom of our house. It was the guest bedroom painting at Grandpa and Grandma's, and now it's the guest bedroom painting in Casa de Vries, or the pastor's palace. Take your pick. <laughs> but I didn't want it to be in the guest bedroom. I wanted it for myself. I thought maybe we could find something else to be in the guest bedroom. Because even though it's not a, a Monet or a Van Gogh or some other fancy painter, it means so much to me. It's one of my favorites. I wanted it somewhere for me. But it fit in the guest bedroom. And it taught me a lesson of hospitality, plain and simple, that true hospitality calls us to love our guests. And if we love our guests, if hospitality is truly an act of love and even an act of sacrifice, then our guests get our best. They get our best. Our cherished possessions, our nice stuff, even our favorite paintings. I want to invite us this morning to read Luke chapter 7 with a lens for simply hospitality. Now, Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the Word of God is living and active, which means there's so many different dimensions to dig into this text. There's so many helpful things to elevate from within it. But today, I want us to set more of those other ways to look at it aside and focus on hospitality. We could talk about the symbolism of anointing and how the anointing is the work of the Holy Spirit, and so 
for the Holy Spirit to be at work in this woman who's anointing Jesus reflects the nature of the Trinity, the perichoretic nature of the Trinity. We could observe that the, the Chalcedonian definition of Christ being fully human and fully divine is found in this text, that Jesus is fully human, that he receives physical hospitality, and he's fully divine because he has the power to forgive sins. We could spend a lot of time on the cultural barriers of how this woman walking into this house uninvited would be so disruptive, and what she did was, was unheard of. All of that is at play within this text. But today, as we think about the vision of North Holland, let's focus simply on hospitality and what it means that this woman gave her best to Jesus and that Jesus commends her act of love because she showed hospitality She showed love, she showed sacrifice to Jesus by giving Jesus her best. And why did she do it? Because she loved him. Because she loved Jesus. Verse 47, Jesus says, as her great love has shown. Her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. In Luke chapter 7, in this episode in the house of Simon the Pharisee, the conclusion of the story is that Jesus forgives the woman of her sins and tells her, go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That's the conclusion. But the climax of Luke 7 is the confrontation with Simon the Pharisee. The climax is the confrontation where Jesus accuses his host of not showing him hospitality. Simon did not show hospitality to Jesus because he lacks love. Let's reread those words. When Jesus approached Simon, the climax of the story, beginning at verse 44, he turned to the woman And said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, but you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins are forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Jesus confronts Simon, Simon who is the host and yet lacks the very definition of what it takes to be a host. Hospitality. Because hosting can be an act, but it could turn into a hollow act. Because hospitality, true hospitality, the kind of hospitality in our vision here at North Holland to intentionally share the love of Jesus through compassion-filled hospitality, through hospitality that is filled with love, 
Hospitality does not come from status. Hospitality comes from the heart. Hospitality does not come from wealthy and expensive things. Hospitality comes from love that is in the heart. And hospitality, make no mistake, in our culture today, hospitality is not tolerance. Hospitality is love. Hospitality goes deeper than tolerance. Simon tolerates Jesus. He can barely tolerate the woman who has come into his house and would have more than a few things to say about it, but he only says them to himself, which is why I love that Scripture tells us that Jesus answered him in response to his very thought. Simon can tolerate Jesus, but he doesn't love Jesus. Simon can host Jesus in a hollow way, but he cannot give him hospitality. It's almost a a tokenism, a way of saying that you did the right thing even though your heart's not really in it. Simon can say, oh yeah, Jesus, he's a teacher. I had him over at my house. Tokenism is just a way of making ourselves look good by saying, well, we care about so-and-so because we have this friend or, or we do this thing. But it's tokenism. It's an external hollow act that has no heart in it, no love present. Tokenism will help us maintain the status that we have. And maintaining status requires these hollow acts of tokenism. But hospitality does not come from status. Hospitality comes from the heart. And Jesus, recognizing the heart of the woman and the love that she poured out, Jesus turns Simon's status in on himself. Because Simon is a man of great status. He is a Pharisee. He's a leading religious leader. And Jesus goes after his status in a way that Simon would pick up on that goes deeper than just the words that are piercing enough as they are. Simon is a Pharisee, which means he would know his Old Testament very, very well, by memory. But... Being a Pharisee means you know the Old Testament, and it also means that you revere certain people. Who would the Pharisees revere? Moses, because it was Moses who was given the law to give to the people. Pharisees would revere Aaron as a priest. But Pharisees would especially revere and hold in high regard the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Abraham in particular was the high patriarch to be held in high regard. The way Jesus picks apart Simon's lack of hospitality is an echo to the type of hospitality that Abram showed. Abraham showed in Genesis 18. And in verses 44 through 47, the way Jesus contrasts what the woman did that Simon did not, is an echo of Genesis 18. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Genesis 18, if you will. It's an easy book to find. It's the first one. For here we find another example of hospitality. This is when the three visitors 
come to visit Abraham, and we know who they are. It's God visiting Abraham. And in beginning in verse 3, as Abraham saw those these men approaching, he runs out to greet them from the entrance of a tent, and he bows down low to the ground. And in Genesis 18, we'll pick up at verse 3. He said to them, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, that you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Already the echo that Abraham wanted water for their feet. Simon brought no water for Jesus. These guests are to be refreshed under the shade of the tree, just as oil upon your head would refresh you as a sign of hospitality. But Simon brought no oil to Jesus. And Abraham rushed out of his way. As these guests were passing by, he did not want to let them pass by without the opportunity to show them hospitality. So he makes them this offer. And they respond very well. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to his servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared. And he set these before them. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Abram has the hurried hospitality of a waiter in a busy restaurant, making sure that his guests have all that they need. They have water to wash their feet from the journey. They have the shade of the tree to refresh themselves. And the guests get the best. Genesis 18 shows us that Abraham's version of hospitality is one where the guests are loved and made comfortable. You wash their feet, you offer them relief, but you find fine flour and a choice tender calf. Not the stale donuts from yesterday that are half price. Not an old lamb from the flock, but fine flour and a choice calf. Hospitality means that we give guests our best. The patriarch Abraham set the example of hospitality in this way. Simon, hearing the echo from Genesis 18, would understand that Jesus is calling him out, that his status is hollow, that his works have nothing to them, and that Simon as a Pharisee, one who would revere Abraham, has failed to live up to Abraham's standard. Because the guests in Simon's house do not receive the best or the things that are loved or the choicest actions or the hurried, the desire to really reach out and make everything happen for the guests. Jesus is not a well-treated guest in Simon's house. And the Pharisee would understand the failure that Jesus is pointing out. In Hebrews chapter 13, 
Verse 2, we're told, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. For any first century Jew reading that verse from Hebrews, they would think of Abraham showing hospitality to his guests. Some have entertained angels without knowing it. Because for Abraham, it was not a knowledge of who the visitors were that prompted him to hospitality. He was prompted to hospitality simply because there were guests. And then shortly later in the chapter, we find out who these guests really were. That he was showing hospitality and entertaining these strangers who turned out to be messengers from God. Hospitality is an act of giving our best, giving of ourselves sacrificially and with love. One way that we do that here is when we host, we go all out. And we serve fine food. Just ask the staff at Camp Geneva if we serve them well. And they respond with such gratitude for the food that is prepared. Here at North Holland, our hospitality of the Harvest Feast, which if you talk to the people who come to the Harvest Feast, for some of them, it is their only Thanksgiving meal that they celebrate. And they celebrate it here with us. And may our hospitality show that we are willing to give our guests the very best. And not because of who they might be, or that they could be angels in disguise, but we give them hospitality because they are guests and because we seek to love them in our hearts, not to serve them out of status. Here at North Holland, we do hand-to-hand. We send food home on the weekends for children who do not have enough to eat, that the meals at school are the most consistent that they receive. One thing that I love about the hand-to-hand model is that we ask simply for people to, when you go to the grocery store to buy what you need, pick up one or two extra things for those who are in need, for it is out of our abundance that we share with others. It's a pet peeve of people who run food pantries and other, um, other ministries of mercy, is when, we, when they do mass food drives, you know what we give? Do you know what food drives often end up with? Almost expired food, or canned goods that nobody wants, or when clothing drives happen and it's old and more ratty things that are given. That's not hospitality. That's not love. That's not giving our guests our best. That's giving them our leftovers and not sharing with them the abundance that we have. Hospitality reminds us simply that We have gone to the grocery store because we will be hungry. And there's someone else who might be hungry too. And can't we offer them something as well? Not something old or expired or something we think is gross that we don't want to eat it. I always tried to get rid of stuff when church did, when we did uh, food drives when I was a kid. We all had ideas of what we wanted to get rid of in the pantry. But mom and dad would not let us do that. We had to give them things that we wanted. Not our leftovers, but our best. Hospitality calls us to reach out in love to every guest and to give them our best. And this woman went out of her way to show hospitality to Jesus. 
And she went somewhere that she was not even welcome to show love to Christ. Are we so bold as the woman in that story that we could go somewhere that we know we are not even welcome? Not welcome as a Christian to show Christ's love. Not welcome to say that it is because Christ has loved us first that we show love. Are we willing and courageous enough like that woman to go where we are not even welcome to show love and welcome to others? She shows great hospitality as a foil for Simon's lack of hospitality. But Christ's presence is the ultimate example of hospitality, is it not? It is Christ's presence that was enough for this woman to know that she was welcome to be with him, even if she was not welcome in the house of Simon, which rest assured she was not. It is Christ's presence that welcomes her. Do we have the same hospitality presence of Christ that people would approach us, that people would come to us. Jesus has a presence of hospitality, of of welcoming. And not all those of high status, but those who are broken, those who are hurting, those who are looked down upon are welcome to be with him. One of the reasons we shy away from giving guests our best It's maybe because we're worried that they're going to break our stuff. Maybe there's a little bit of me that when we have long-term guests staying with us, I worry about what might happen to this painting that I love. What if when people are moving their things in and out of the room, they they bump it and it falls and something bad happens to it? What if if a family stays in that guest bedroom and, and a child does something to this painting What if my beloved painting gets messed up? What if I give a guest my best and they ruin it and they ruin my stuff? I guess that's a risk that we get to take. And it's also a reminder that it is Christ who set the example of hospitality for us. Because God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. God sent us his best God sent us his beloved son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. God gave us his best. And it was broken. Jesus died upon the cross for our sins. Because God, in his infinite and hospitality to the level of aseity, God showed hospitality to us and gave us his very best. His beloved with whom he was well pleased. And we, his people, we broke him. And he died for us. It dims in comparison, then, to what might happen to a painting. (laughs) Value or not. To follow Jesus means sacrifice. And to follow Jesus and to show true hospitality, fitting of this place, fitting of this church, means that we need to follow Christ's example. And that when we come to this table, we seek to remind ourselves of just that. My friends, the supper that we are about to celebrate is one of remembrance 
communion, and hope. And let us this day remember that God showed the ultimate act of hospitality in sending us his best, sending us his beloved Son, who assumed our flesh and blood and died upon the cross for our sins and for our salvation. We remember that Christ came and dwelt among us. He taught us the way of the Lord. He proclaimed his kingdom. And he was betrayed by one of his own and died for our sins, that we may know the promise of eternal life and that we may hear those same words that Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We come in remembrance. but We also come in communion, knowing that just as Jesus dwelt here among us and had meals with his friends, had meals with strangers, we remember that Jesus seeks to dwell among us. And we have communion with Christ. Christ who has promised to be with us always, even to the end of the world. That in the breaking of the bread, he makes himself known to us as the true heavenly bread, which strengthens us when we come around this table. And in the cup of blessing, Christ comes to us as the true vine in whom we must abide if we are to bear good fruit. We remember the hospitality of Christ, God's great love for us. We come together in communion with God here present and with one another. And we come in hope. It's a sad and broken world. And we need hope to persevere. And this table where we remember and commune with Christ is a table of hope believing that in the bread and in the cup we have a pledge and foretaste of the great heavenly banquet of love of which we shall partake when his kingdom has fully come. And that our hope is that one day the crooked paths will be made straight, that which is broken will be healed, and that which is dead may experience life through Christ's resurrection. And one day we shall behold him, we shall see his face with unveiled glory. Since by his death, resurrection, and ascension, Christ has obtained for us this life-giving spirit who unites us all as one body, so we are to receive this supper in love with one another, mindful of the communion of saints. We're going to pass the plates today for communion, which, as we come forward for intinction, we remember that we respond to God. We come to the altar. When the plates are passed one thing that we remember is that Christ meets us where we are. And the assurance is that Christ will not leave us where we're at if we seek to follow him. The bread will be passed to you first, and we'll invite you to take a piece of bread and hold on to it. Have a time of worship and prayer, and we will all partake together as one body, unified by Christ's Holy Spirit. Then the cups will be passed, and we'll invite you once again to take the cup, to hold on to it, Have a word of prayer. Remember that this is Christ's blood shed for you, and then we will all partake as one body together. The bread that we have is gluten, dairy, wheat, soy, and nut-free to be hospitable, (laughs) that we may all share together in the Lord's Supper. So we hope that the bread will accommodate all dietary needs. As we come to this supper, we come in remembrance, communion, and hope and in the hospitality that Christ offers to us in opening this table. Let's pray. 
Yes, let's pray. God, holy and right it is, and our joyful duty to give thanks to you at all times and in all places. O Lord, our creator, almighty and everlasting God. You created heaven with all its hosts and the earth with all its plenty. You have given us life and being and preserve us by your providence. But you have shown us the fullness of your love in sending into the world your Son, Jesus Christ, the eternal word made flesh for us and for our salvation. For the precious gift of this mighty Savior who has reconciled us to you, we praise and bless you, O God. With your whole church on earth and with all the company of heaven, we worship and adore your glorious name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, you are the God of power and might. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Blessed is your son Jesus, who came in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Most righteous God, we remember together in this supper the perfect sacrifice offered once on the cross by our Lord Jesus Christ for the sin of the whole world. And in the joy of his resurrection and in expectation of his coming again, we offer ourselves to you as holy and living sacrifices as together we will remember the mystery of the faith, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. With that being said, send your Holy Spirit upon us, we pray, that the bread which we break and the cup which we bless may be to us the communion of the body and blood of Christ. Grant that being joined together in him, we may attain the unity of the faith and grow up in all things, into Christ our Lord. And as this grain has been gathered from many fields into one loaf, and these grapes from many hills into one cup, grant, O Lord, that your whole church may soon be gathered from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. Even so, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. 